Hey guys, and thanks for checking out this episode of the John Campion Show podcast, the audio-only version of the John Campion Show on YouTube. This episode was recorded on Friday, August the 7th, 2020, titled John Wick 4 and 5 Filming Back to Back. We're awfully glad that you're joining us today, guys. And remember, you can also get a comment or question on the live questions part of the show by simply using the tip link in the description of this podcast. That's streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show and you'll be supporting the channel at the same time. And for now, let's get to the episode. Let's get into main topic number one, shall we? And our first main topic today gets submitted to us by Geeky Gator. And Geeky Gator writes in, Hey, John. Well, hello there. I've seen a lot of rumors floating around online that the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer will drop near August 22nd, near the NBA playoffs, which is something they've done before. Which is fitting since Disney wants people watching ESPN. Lots of people are speculating that this is Disney trying to sabotage DC fandom on the 22nd. I don't think it is. But what do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, we are getting closer to October, which is when supposedly Mandalorian Season 2 is supposed to drop. Now, of course, Mandalorian Season 1 came out is an absolute triumph. It actually got nominated for the top prize at the Emmys, Best Dramatic Series. Uh, I was very, very pleasantly surprised to see that it got that nomination. I love this show. One or two episodes a little bit if you have, but overall, the show was fantastic. Led up great to go into season two, and I cannot wait for season two. I know a lot of you guys feel the exact same way. Now, that being said, there have been some reports coming out saying that a trailer for Mandalorian season two is coming very soon. And some even suggesting it might even be on or close to August 22nd, which could be either here nor there. First thing I want to mention is this. All these, I've seen a bunch of these headlines running around that, you know, Mandalorian season two trailer could be dropping very soon, Rob. (gasps) Do you know that? Could be dropping soon. You know what is dropping soon? The Mandalorian hot toy. Just saying. Well, that that is also true. But, uh, okay, Mandalorian season, oh, that's the big hot news. Mandalorian season two trailer coming soon. The show comes out in October. Of course it's coming out soon. (laughs) It could be coming out within eight weeks. Of course the trailer is coming soon. It's like, it's like, I don't know, walking into a restaurant and seeing a a pregnant woman with her like belly out to here, like ready to pop and going, breaking news, she's going to have a baby soon. No (laughs) shit. Really? So uh, I just see this headline, trailer (laughs) dropping soon for Mandalorian season two. Really? And it's only eight weeks away. Imagine that. Anyway. So, so that's neither here nor there. Maybe it'll it'll come out in the next week. Maybe it'll come out closer to the 20th. Maybe it'll come out on the 22nd. And so the question gets brought up, Rob, is, well, are they doing this specifically to try to undermine and sabotage DC fandom, which is, of course, you know, kind of DC's online uh, Comic-Con event that they're doing this year. I'm actually looking forward to it. I think it could be pretty interesting uh, the way they're doing it. So, you know, could they be, you start seeing some of these sites running with these theories that, oh, they're doing it specifically to try to sabotage DC fandom. Really? I, I, I must have missed the memo, Rob, where they mentioned you, there's now a new league uh, government issue mandate where you are allowed to watch one thing on the internet per day. 
I must have missed it. No. I, I must have missed it. There must be some law that got passed in the past 72 hours that I missed that said individuals with Internet access can only watch one thing a day. That's uh, spe- so Orwellian. Specifically, oh, if you're watching a two and a half minute trailer or something, you can't possibly go and watch something else that's going to be available online to you for like 72 hours. I, I, I Look, we've seen this sort of nonsense before where people would suggest that, oh, the timing of the release of this and the release of this, oh, that's one company. No, it's not. Nobody cares. There is not a single person on this planet, all right? I can assure you of this. There is not a single person on this planet that is that was thinking, man, I'm really interested in uh, checking out DC Fandom when it comes out and seeing you know the, the virtual online panels are doing, hear some of the announcements, see some clips. I'm excited about that. There is not a single person on this on this earth who was thinking that and then today go, oh, well, if they're dropping the Mandalorian season two trailer, I'm not watching DC fandom. There is not a single human being on the planet that is thinking that. <laughs> now, it, could it add Except or could us. it distract a little bit from the buzz of one thing or another? Maybe, but listen, in the world of entertainment, tons of things come out every single day, Rob. Tons of things come out every single day. And really more often than not, when stuff like this happens, it's not one brand trying to sabotage another brand. It's one brand piggybacking with the other brand. It's like trying to create a wave of momentum. That's why when you watch Comic-Con, when Comic-Con in a regular year, like two big trailers come out, it creates even more buzz than if one big trailer came out. Mm -hmm. Because now it, it creates this momentum. It creates this tsunami wave, if you will. And so, number one, of course there's a Mandalorian trailer coming soon because the season is coming out soon. So, obviously. But number two, no, this is, even if it does come out on the 22nd, which we don't know if it is, but even if it does drop on the 22nd, that is not one company trying to sabotage the other um, in any way, shape, or form. Anyway, Rob, uh, you saw this. What's your reaction to it? Well, like you said, I think it's pretty silly. (laughs) You know, what does one have to do with the other? Really? I mean, The Mandalorian is going to be an ongoing series. DC Fandom is is uh, an event. I, I don't think that one has anything to do with the other. And um, the fact that they're coinciding, uh, lots of things happen on the same week or the same day in the world. We are a very multifaceted species of individuals. <laughs> so I, I think that it's 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 I, I think it has nothing. As a matter of fact. I would be willing to bet that neither side even knows the other one's doing anything. It's not like <laughs> everybody monitors everyone else's comings and goings. I, I you know, so I I think it's it's not a big deal at all. Let me let me ask you this. Do both. Watch. Well, I, I, yeah, that, that's what everybody's gonna do. I, I mean, it, it, it. First of all, you know, you and I probably watch The Mandalorian at midnight when yeah, it drops. We do. Yeah, and then of course I wake up and and I you know man we uh, at our house we call it Mandalorian morning, where uh, Elizabeth's in school and then I usually am working so we'll watch Mandalorian starting at seven a.m. with our morning coffee, and then by seven thirty we're up and at them unless the episode's thirty seven minutes long or something, and uh, Mandalorian uh, Mandalorian morning has been completed and uh, then I go sit in front of my computer and watch DC Fandom. I mean, <laughs> yeah, what, I, 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 the only. I, 
I am curious to ask you though, like as with DC Phantom coming up, I mean, I, I suppose it might be pronounced DC Fandom. That's the way it's spelled. I just still say DC Fandom anyway. Yeah, it's DC. Um, I, 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 it's a play I, I on words, word. I think. But yeah. if I had to put you on the spot right now and say, what's the one thing you are most looking forward to uh, with DC Fandom? Like, what's the thing you're looking forward to the most there? Well, I want to see clips from Zack Snyder's Just League. <laughs> you know, I do. Now, now that we know we're getting it, I'm I'm, I'm all in. My, my hype factor's up. I want to see it. I want to see uh, more clips from Wonder Woman 84. You know, I'd like to see clips from James Gunn's Suicide Squad. To be honest, I mean, those those are the three things that I'm most interested in. I think most of our viewers are probably interested in as well. Um, you know, any upcoming TV news? Is there going to be a clip? I don't think Superman and Lois has started shooting yet. Maybe it has. Um, but yeah, just, just, just like Comic-Con, show me stuff. Show me yeah. clips. Now, That's I'm, what I, I I'm, hear. I'm Maybe. also looking forward to all that stuff. I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to all that stuff. But I got to say, the one thing that I don't know if they're going to do, but I am most interested in this happening. I would love for them at this thing to show us something or tell us something that settles for us where in this DC landscape does Matt Reeves's Batman fall? Like, oh, yeah, because there are still people talking about, oh, no, it is going to be in the DCU. So it's going to be this. Oh, it, it's going to be it's totally its own thing like the Joker. Oh, it's going to be a hybrid of the two. I, I think the thing I would be really most looking forward to out of that, like on top of all that other stuff that you mentioned, not to mention, I want to hear because The Rock apparently is going to be appearing on it. I want to hear more about what, yeah. what's going on with Black Adam. And I, I want to hear something that we don't know. Announce yeah. Man of Steel 2 or announce – don't call it Man of Steel 2. Call it Superman. Yeah, the next Superman movie, whatever, Henry Cavill's back. I expect them to be some announcement about Henry Cavill coming back. But, I mean, I really want to know. I want them to definitively lay it out and say, this is where Matt Reeves' Batman is. It's this. That way, now we can just focus on the movie itself that's coming and not wonder about that other stuff. So that's the stuff. But anyway, guys, question for you is, do you think there's actually anybody on the world who is going to think, wow, I was going to watch DC Phantom, but now I'm not because I've got to watch the Mandalorian Season 2 trailer 48 times, and that's going to take up all my view. I, I, do any of you think that? What do you think about all that? Jump down to the comment section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With that down, let's move on to main topic number two. And our second main topic today gets submitted to us by Ernie Bosta. Who writes, just last week, I heard you talking about the great themes from the 80s. Shows like Knight Rider. That's right. Knight Rider, A-Team, Airwolf, uh, you name it. Uh, did you see the reports that James Wan is producing a Knight Rider movie? I think this sounds awesome. The only thing I would be worried about is if they try to set it in the 80s. I think something like Knight Rider is even better suited to today than it was in the 80s, if done right. So I hope it happens in modern times. What do you think? All right. Thanks a lot for sending that in, man. And yes, for those of you who may not have heard, there is a Knight Rider movie coming. Now, we've heard that song and dance before. Just a few years ago, they were talking about doing a Knight Rider movie. That never really manifested. But there is a Knight Rider movie coming. Now, I don't know if James Wan himself is going to be a producer on it. It just mentions that his company 
is going to be one of the production companies behind this thing. So maybe he's actively involved as a producer or not, but they are doing this thing. And to answer your question, uh, coming from the wrap, it tells us this time to rev up the engines of that 1982 Pontiac Trans Am because Spyglass Media Group has partnered with James Wan's and Michael Clear's Atomic Monster to develop a movie based on the 1980s NBC classic Knight Rider, according to an individual with knowledge of the project. Plot details for the upcoming film are being kept inside Flag, that was the organization, headquarters, but the brief intel we got is that the film will be modern day and maintain the anti-establishment of the original series. So it will be modern day and we'll kind of maintain that whole anti-establishment law and order, blah, 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 all that kind of stuff, which is, which is great. I, for one, completely agree with you. Like when I first heard they were going to do another Knight Rider, my first thought was like yours was, I hope they don't do it in the 80s. And here's the other thing. Going back to my AMC days, I still remember when the news came out that they were trying to develop a Knight Rider movie and it was going to be strictly a comedy. It was going to be strictly a comedy. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and, and tell you that I wasn't at all interested in it. It was Knight Rider. I was still interested in it. But I like the idea of them, yeah, make it light, but but you know, also make it like, hey, a modern thing, a super spy thing who's got this advanced piece of, of technology, this self-aware AI car, which is more relevant today than probably at any other time in history. It's actually, this is a perfect time in our history to do a show like this or to do a movie like this, I should say. And whether or not James Wan is really actively hands-on involved in something like this or not, I mean, it'd be great if he is, if he's not, whatever. I still think this is great. Don't involve David Hasselhoff. I love the Hoff. I love the Hoff. But don't connect this to the original TV show. Just obviously have him do a cameo in it as something, as a bartender or something like that, but don't. Don't make him Michael Knight in this thing. They tried to do that with that failed TV series. You remember that, Rob? They they started up a new Knight Rider series, and it yeah. was an extension of the original not show. Not so good. Not so good. Did not work out so well. But I'll tell you, Rob, I, I'd be lying if I didn't tell you. I, I'm pretty excited about this. And I hope <laughs> they use some version, not the original music, but like an updated like uh, cover of that original music would be kind of cool to hear. But I like what I'm hearing. What do you think about this? Well, what's so strange is now we live in a world where cars drive themselves, yeah. you know, that that there's there's uh, there's more kit than ever around. And I and I think that who doesn't this is this is one of those ideas like when you hear Charlie's Angels is coming out, it's like, OK, but the potential of what they could do with the concept of Knight Rider today with today's technology. And I mean, can you imagine if it was. First of all, James Wan, I, I keep thinking back to his movie Death Sentence he made with Kevin Bacon. I, I know he's only producing, but I that think was this a movie, violent, violent film. <laughs> I think this movie could kick ass. I mean, if, if you know, I, I think back to movies like I really love Michael Mann's theatrical feature version of the Miami Vice, the updating of Miami Vice. I thought it was serious. I thought it was really cool. Who I was think in that? That was take, Colin Farrell. And who else was in that with him? And Jamie Foxx. And Jamie Foxx. That's right. You know, and and I think that if they they don't go, I just hope they don't make it campy. I would love to see a serious, just kick ass take on the Knight Rider concept, and just make it awesome. You know, make it. Don't go like, don't go too Hobbs and Shaw with it. You know, pull it back. <laughs> maybe, maybe a little bit more of the Born Identity. <laughs> you know, something killer. Like I just want to see something that's awesome. I mean, still, it's Knight Rider, so there's an inherent 
there's an inherent little bit of it's going to have a little goofiness in it. I think it has to. You can't take it too seriously. But I just want it to kick ass, man, because I think it'd be great. Who who wouldn't want to see that? You peak nostalgia and then put in some modern kick assness. And I think it'd be great. Yeah. And listen, I, I've got to agree with you. I think, look, the original Miami Vice was fundamentally different than the original Knight Rider, right? They, they were two yeah. very different kinds of shows. So, but Knight Rider did have inherent campiness to it, right? So I think you've got to at least bring an element of that. You got to at least bring some element of that into it. Like, I think you can do it hardcore, real fun, great action, super spy kind of thing, but also incorporate just a little bit of that campiness in there just to give it a bit of, but, but I agree with you though. Not to the same level that the show was. Don't don't try to make this thing a comedy. Don't like have some laughs, but don't make it a comedy. Yeah, you I know, mean, so. they, you know, when they do like tw- Twenty One Jump Street, the original series was not a comedic series. However, their take on it for the movies Twenty One and Twenty Two Jump Street were really good. You know, they were it was really well cast, really well done, very funny, and and, and sure, like if I. It, it's, it has this is not like Knight Rider at all, but I think one of the great action comedies that works both as a great comedy and a great action movie was Beverly Hills Cop. Mm. The first Beverly Hills Cop that had some killer action in it, that truck chase at the beginning, and yet it still had an edge to it. I mean, it was R rated, there was violence, there was great action scenes. I'm not saying you go that comedic, but. If you could, if that, if you had that balance of kick-ass action along with humor, you could really have something. And I, I, I don't know why I'm so excited for this idea, but I am. <laughs> I, yeah, maybe, I, I'm, maybe I'm too excited for this, John. I don't know why. I'm. I read this yesterday. I'm like, yeah, man. And I, I I'm on the hype train. I am on the hype train. And I, I, hope, on this. I hope James Wan is more involved than not like i don't need him directing it per se although that would be exciting but yeah. I, I hope he is a little bit more hands-on on this project than a typical producer so we'll have to wait and see question is for you guys what do you think about this news that there's going to be a knight rider movie coming with james wan involved how do you think they should have what kind of tone should it have should it be more like the 80s show or should it be a little bit more modern of a take jump down into the comment section below and let us know your thoughts all right guys with that down Let's move into our third and final main topic today. And our third and final main topic today gets submitted to us by Storm Johnson, who writes, Hey, John and Rob. Hello there, Storm. Big fan of the show. Did you see the news that Lionsgate is is hoping to shoot both John Wick 4 and 5 directly after each other? At first, I thought this was an odd decision, but then I saw that the box office for each John Wick film gets better with each new release. My question is, do you think that this was on Lionsgate's mind when they made this decision? And do you think we will continue to see the box office increase with each sequel? All right, man. Thanks a lot for sending that in. And yes, look, we knew that another John Wick was coming, although we were surprised to find out when John Wick 3 came out, it wasn't a certainty that they were doing a four at the time. Like we we found out since that, even though the movie kind of sets up a fourth and it would make sense, it wasn't locked in iron that they were going to do one. That's clearly no longer the case as now not only are they committing to a fourth, they're committing to a fifth 
and apparently doing them back to back. This comes to us from Deadline that writes, on today's Lionsgate's earnings call, the studio CEO, John, I'll never pronounce this right, uh, Felthmeyer, uh, Felthamir? Felthamir. Tell me that dude isn't from Lord of the Rings. Felthamir. All right. (laughs) Studio CEO John Felthamir writes, said, we're also busy preparing scripts for the next two installments of our John Wick action franchise. With John Wick 4 slated to hit theaters Memorial Day of 2022, we hope to shoot both John Wick 4 and 5 back to back when Kiana becomes available next year. So that comes to us from Deadline. This is fantastic news. The John Wick franchise is... uh, Look, I'm not going to lie to you. I didn't like part two quite as much as I like part one. I still like part two very much. Don't get me wrong. And I was excited to see three. Three blew the roof off, though. Three absolutely blew the roof off for me. I remember me and Ann went to go see it, and we were like, immediately after we left, we jumped on our... AMC A-list apps and booked our next viewing of it because we had to go back and watch it again. And we saw it several times in theaters. I love, 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 love uh, part three very, very much. So it brings up the question, though. Why do it back to back? You know, and and is it because they maybe think they could they're going to see things? Because quite often, Rob, you don't want to be premature in this business, right? Like, that's why normally you don't hear about a sequel getting greenlit until the studio sees, you know what I mean, Rob, like until a studio sees that a, the first one was received pretty well and also made decent money at the box office. And then they normally, that's why it's big news when a, a movie studio will greenlight a sequel before the first one even comes out. Normally you wait to find out how this next one does and then you commit, because even just making that commitment to making the next movie, money starts to change hands immediately as soon as you sign those deals and contracts money starts changing hands and if you don't end up making that next one after the sequel you're out a lot of money for nothing so they take it very they take it very seriously and they do that so let's look at this why would a studio want to look at doing it back to back why with john wick and what kind of pressing can we see? So let's let's step into the classroom here for a second, Rob. I know everybody loves going into into uh, the John Campia classroom for a second, but let's talk about this John Wick thing. John Wick One, you got to remember, it wasn't a huge hit, but it made eighty six million dollars at the box office. Right, the key part of that and what made got it a sequel was that John Wick One only cost twenty million dollars to make, right? So it made more than four times its budget at the box office. Now, you got to remember, too, when this movie first came out, nobody cared about it. Nobody was talking about John Wick. Keanu Reeves had kind of faded into obscurity again a little bit by that point. He wasn't really a name anymore. And then one month before John Wick came to theaters... The first trailer dropped just about one month before the movie came out. It's when they finally put out the first trailer. And all of a sudden, everybody's talking about it. The movie made $86 million, more than four times its budget. Okay, great. Well, now we fast forward to John Wick 2. That movie, this is the type of trend you like to see. Made $171 million, nearly doubling what the first one made on a very humble $30 million budget. That means it made more than five times 
its budget. More than five times its budget. So you get the first one. You want to see these upward trajectories in box office. That tells you people love the first one. They're interested in this franchise. Made more than double the first one. And whereas the first one made four times its budget, this one made more than five times its budget. Okay, does the trend continue? Well, now we move into John Wick Chapter 3. And John Wick Chapter 3 pulled in $326 million. $326 million. Again, nearly doubling the previous one. This time on still a very modest, very modest, modest $56 million budget, which means this time it made more than six times its budget. The first one made more than four times its budget. Second one made more than five times its budget. Third one made more than six times its budget. So when you're asking the question about how can Lionsgate feel comfortable and confident about greenlighting, not just number four, but greenlighting number five, when they're not even sure how number four will go. These numbers, these numbers are what stares Lionsgate in the face and says, okay, yeah, yeah, we can do, we can greenlit five and we feel pretty confident when you look at this literal exponential growth in the franchise. It's insane looking at those numbers from 86 million, nearly doubling to 171, nearly doubling again to 326. And their return on investment kept going up four times the budget, five times the budget, six times the budget. And they've always managed to keep the budgets really small. $56 million for that movie. I, I am assuming that they might spend 70 million on the next one. It, pretty interesting. Now, so they're going to shoot this thing back to back, which basically means they're going to go into production and shoot this thing like it's one movie. They're going to try to get all the production thing. So this isn't the first one to do, first movie to do things like this. Uh, Lord of the Rings, uh, Lord of the Right, uh, Lord of the Rings uh, did this. Um, uh, uh, two Pirates movies. Uh, I think it was uh, At World's End. And uh, what was the other one? Um, two and three. Dead Men. Yeah, Dead Men, I think it's Dead Men Don't uh, Tell No Tales. They did it back-to-back. Of course, Matrix, uh, two and three, shot back-to-back. The Twilight, the final two Twilight with things, I think it was called Breaking Dawn. Infinity Uh, War and Endgame. That's right, uh, Breaking Dawn, uh, one and two. um, Infinity and Endgame did it back-to-back. What were those Clint Eastwood movies? Um, uh, Flags of Our oh, Fathers? Sands of Iwo Jima and Flags of Our letters Fathers. Letters from Iwo Jima. Uh, letters, uh, letters from Iwo Jima, yeah. Letters the from Sands of Iwo Jima. Iwo Jima. Letters from Iwo Jima. <laughs> and I think it's called Flags of Our Fathers. So that yeah. that one was well. And and many, many, many. Uh, Harry Potter, the final ha- two Harry Potter films were shot back to back. So this is not the first time this has been done. I believe um, uh, uh, Back to the Future 2 and 3. I think Back to the Future yeah. 2 and 3 also did that. The question is why? Why do this? Well, there. I want to propose four reasons why a studio would be attracted to shooting back-to-back, all right? The first one is this. It offers you the opportunity for a uh, shorter release gap, all right? A shorter release gap. Like, when you make one movie and then it releases, has a theatrical run, then you write the script for the next one, go into pre-production, but you're talking two, three, four, five years in between those movies, the first one and the second one, you lose a little bit of momentum. I remember when the Matrix 2 and 3 came out, because we had to wait a couple years for Matrix 2. But Matrix 2 came out, and I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, I think it was only five months we had to wait for Matrix 3. 
Yeah. It was five or six months. They came. So the studio was able to capitalize on a shorter than normal release gap window. That, that's why Lord of the Rings could come out every year. Right. You didn't have to wait two, three, four, five years as momentum lost. They're able to take now. That doesn't mean they'll automatically take advantage of the shorter release gap, but it does give them the opportunity for a shorter release gap. The next advantage is uh, uh, scheduling. Right. One of the big things, hurdles that studios have to deal with in trying to get movies made is trying to figure out, OK, well, we've got the rock in this movie. When's he available? He's not available till September in three years. Like it's scheduling. So if you can in one stroke block off and schedule your actors all at one time for two separate movies in a five month range instead of a two and a half month range here and another two and a half range there, it, it makes scheduling a hell of a lot easier to do it. So that's another thing. The third thing that why studios can look at doing this, uh, did I spell that right? Efficiency. Efficiencies, right? So, like, you can create a set or, say, book a location. Let's say in, in um, John Wick Chapter 2, they, they shoot at this one location, and then they also have that location in John Wick Chapter 3. Well, guess what? Instead of bringing all of the cast and crew to that location, shooting that shot, breaking set, everybody leaving, going to do other things, and then five months later or, or a year or two later have to come back to that location, reset everything up again, doing all... Guess what? Now we can shoot scene 27 from John Wick chapter 2 and scene 18 from John Wick chapter 3 at the same time. I mean, it just creates little traveling, which saves tons of money. It just creates efficiencies for studios trying to make this movie. Now, parts 2 and 3 all lead to the fourth one, which is expense. It just makes it cheaper. When you can block off your talent, you can make everything as efficient as possible. You don't have to break and reset sets three times you can just set it up once at time is money all that kind of stuff it just makes it cheaper and a studio can save millions sometimes tens of millions of dollars by organizing their shoot that way to make sure that they get it all done and they get it all right and they do it as efficiently and quickly as possible because if you add up the time rob of how long it would take to shoot part two and how long it would take to shoot part three It'll be shorter if you just shot two and three back to back. You, you'll end up with a shorter turnaround time. It saves you money. It's easier scheduling. It's more efficient. And it gives the studio the opportunity to have a shorter release date window. And the box office numbers prove, Rob, that committing to a John Wick 5, even though you haven't done four yet, is actually not that big of a risk. It's not that big of a risk when you look at that's Rob, that growth blows marvel's numbers out of the water that type of exponential growth is bigger than even marvel's ever done i mean so to me this makes sense i think it is a smart move i think it is a very limited limited risk move and i think there's great historical precedence about why this is something lionsgate should be doing hell i wouldn't have blinked rob if they said they were going to shoot four five and six back to back uh at this point anyway rob you're hearing that Lionsgate CEO is saying we're going to do John Wick chapter four and five. We're going to shoot them back to back. Good move, bad move. What are some of the risks maybe of them doing this? How do you see this? 
Well, you know, there's one other thing that I wanted to point out to you, too, that's another good reason for doing this, is that it also allows for a creative storytelling opportunity that doesn't always exist when you're waiting two or three years to do a sequel, Mm. and that is you can design both movies to work together in tandem. Because even when, like, say, Empire Strikes Back came out, they didn't really know what was going to happen in Jedi. The script hadn't been written yet. So from a storytelling standpoint, they're going to construct a two-part story that works together. And hopefully it would be, well, maybe more creatively satisfying when you have the movies linked together. I mean, one of the things that I loved about Infinity War and Endgame was that they're two different movies, but they worked in tandem together really well. And I, I don't know if they'd waited three years between films if Endgame would have been as satisfying. So I think that from a creative standpoint, it really allows the filmmakers and the writer, uh, the writers to do something unique, which is an extra added incentive, which, which can give the audience a better experience, which hopefully will translate into bigger dollars at the box office. But I think it's a great idea. for And I'm John, I have to tell you, I was surprised in the wake of the Lord of the Rings films. I mean, obviously they had three books, so they knew what to do. But the fact that this isn't done more than it is. I mean, I understand it makes sense when you're 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 multiple films into a franchise because it's already proven that it's going to be successful. I don't necessarily think that when you're making the first movie of a franchise, you should make two at the same time because you don't know if they're going to work. But for John Wick 4 and 5, after looking at the exponential growth of this franchise, it makes absolute sense to do this. As long as they have a good idea. As long as the script is good. You know, you don't want it to not be good. But I'm I'm a fan of this, and it makes me as a viewer, I'm more invested. Like, to be honest, I just picked up uh, – well, it was, it was here. I just picked up the um, – they released a three-disc set of – all three John Wick movies on 4K. Really? In a, in a, yeah, in a box set, which I just picked up. And I'm like, I'm invested in the John Wick franchise. And to know that there's two movies coming instead of one, uh, I, I now can anticipate a kick-ass cliffhanger. You know, and I'm, I'm, I'm in, man. I think that's, I think I'm stoked. Gets me excited. Can you think, I mean, again, I just went through this entire huge list about why this is limited risk why other films have done it and why this is a good move. But can you think of any potential drawbacks here for doing this back to back? I mean, money can't be one. I suppose it come up by the way, a few people in the live chat are writing in maybe another advantage for them on this. Well, Keanu Reeves, uh, drank the blood of a unicorn, apparently about 25 years ago to the point that he has barely aged a day in the last two decades. Uh, Keanu Reeves is starting to look like he's not 30 anymore. Ooh, he's like, he's, he's in his fifties. He's finally starting to look like maybe he's not 30. It's crazy how good this guy looked, but he is, I mean, we're all aging, right? He's, he's aging. Somebody, so a few people point out in the live chat says, you know, the other advantage shooting back to back is because, you know, these movies so far have happened like within days of each other. Right. And Keanu does look older in the third one than he does in the first one. And that's only supposed to be a few days separated. The advantage is you're able to shoot him and you don't have to worry about, you know, an issue of aging. So that's no. But can you think of any potential drawbacks to doing these things like this back to back? No, I, uh, unless I mean, and I don't 
I don't really want to say this, but let's say somebody gets injured, like uh, Harrison Ford got injured when they were making Force Awakens, when the door landed on his foot or whatever, and you expect to make two movies instead of one, that could be potentially damaging to a schedule and to money. But but you can't you 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 can plan for that contingency, but that's not something you're really going to totally plan for. You're hoping that doesn't happen, but that's really the only downside. That and and the fact that you. I, I would hope that when they make two movies, their they their scripts are ironclad. I hope it's not a situation where, well, we're going to write or we'll write part two as we're shooting part one, or in this case, part four. I hope they wouldn't do that. I hope when they go into John Wick four and five, they're doing it because somebody pitched a great idea, and they have a great a great concept for it. They know where part four is going to end, where part five is going to begin, so they have all their creative ducks in a row. I hope they're not just being greedy and it's not thought through. But I, I, I would imagine it is thought through. I would at least hope it is. Well, guys, the question for you then becomes, what do you think about this announcement? I, I, again, it's not always in most franchises not smart to plan the the two films from now, you know, and start committing money to it. But I think with the John Wick franchise, I think it's a pretty safe bet. How do you guys feel about this move? Can you think of other potential drawbacks of doing it like this? Jump down into the comments section below and let us know your thoughts. All right, guys. With all that down, we're now going to move into our live questions part of the show. And how do we get those live questions? Again, you can use the tip link in the top of the description of this video or simply use streamelements.com slash movieblogtv slash tip. You'll be getting your comment or question on the show if it's reasonable. And of course, you'll be supporting the show at the same time. With that down, let's get into these live questions. We're going to start things off here with 50 Shades of Geek writes, uh, sorry, John, but sometimes, sometimes when I miss two or three of your shows, I watch them on double speed to help catch up. I can't see myself doing the same for a Netflix movie or show, but I love that I have the option to do so if I want. I mean, yeah, I, look, we talked about, of course, Netflix has started to implement the ability for somebody at home if they want like they could with a DVD or whatever, to speed it up the playback and, and watch it at a faster rate. I think it's ridiculous. I'm never going to use it myself, but I don't begrudge anybody else that wants to. But I, I, I'm I never going to use it. But you know, something like YouTube has always had that feature. Things like Audible has that feature. And for something like my show, that's easier because all, all that's coming out of my show is just straight information. It's not dramatic. It's not the timing doesn't matter. It's all just dramatic. So yeah, it's easier to do stuff like that. Again, I can't think of a time that I'd use it on Netflix, but I mean, for something like YouTube, it makes a lot more sense. Fifty Shades also writes, now that I got that off my chest, try listening to the song that plays during the break on your show at double speed. Yeah, my opening theme song. It's surprisingly catchy. I have never listened to that theme music at double speed. Now I'm going to have to go and do that. Fifty Shades, I'll have to check that out. All right, Chris Warden writes, when I first saw the ads for Kevin Costner's new show, Yellowstone, I have not watched this, but I've heard it's great. Uh, new show, uh, Yellowstone. I wasn't sure if I'd like it, but now I'm on season three and I love it. The whole modern Western feel with a little bit of Sopranos sprinkled in is great. Uh, and it's some of Costner's best work in years. You know, Rob, I don't know if you've seen uh, this Yellowstone show, but I, I have heard nothing but good things about it. I've just never been able because isn't it on Paramount Network or something like yeah, that? Yeah, I, 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 it sounds great, but I can't. I don't have that either. But guess what? I do now because I use YouTube TV as my as my television thing. They just added. 
the Paramount Network. Uh, so I, I plan on checking that out because I've heard nothing but good things about it. And uh, thanks for putting that on the watch list there, Chris. All right, next up, The Lone Brown Coat. A little bit of a Firefly reference there. Uh, Netflix movies on the whole haven't hit the mark. No, they certainly have not. A, a couple of a couple of good ones. A couple of really good ones, as a matter of fact. Aside uh, from the odd diamond in the rough, why do you think this is? Maybe they give filmmakers more creative freedom than other companies. If so, maybe they need to stick uh, their beaks in a bit more. Honestly, uh, and I don't work at Netflix, but it, it comes down to this. They don't care. What Netflix, when it comes to movies, is more concerned with is quantity. They want to be able to say to their subscribers, look at this. We gave you 30 new pieces of content this month. And, and I'm not exaggerating. 30, sometimes 40. We gave you 30 new pieces of entertainment this much, uh, this month. And, and many of the times, Rob, it, it, there's no quality control on that. It's just, let's just filler, 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 filler. And then one out of every hundred, you get a, you know, old guard, which is really good. One out of every hundred, you'll get an Irishman. And that kind of goes to my one of my worries that may be unfounded, but one of my worries that, you know, if everything, if like three years from now, everything's changed over to the end, you know, all movies are now streaming, that you're going to see the other studios do the same approach that Netflix has. Like, you're not going to get, you know, near the amount of big, highly anticipated blockbuster styles of films per year because they don't need to. We can just put out a bunch of crap. Like I've talked about this before, Rob, even when you look at Disney Plus, it's just a bunch of Disney Plus is just loaded with filler crap, just loaded with filler crap and and Mandalorian. I mean, <laughs> in seven months that I've had this thing in seven months that I've been paying for this. And that's one of my fears. But but uh, yeah, again, the reason I think that happens there with Netflix is because they're more concerned about quantity, crank it out, be able to say to the user base, we're getting all this original content. And then once in a blue moon, throw out something like an old guard. Although I got to say, Rob, in, in about a week, we're getting that uh, Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt movie. I think it's called Power Station or, or something like that. Uh, I'm looking forward to that. I don't know if it's any good. I haven't heard anything about it yet, but it, it looks good to me. Anyway, Rob, it looks why cool to me it, too. Why do you think it is that you know that the ratio seems to be so skewed when it comes to Netflix movies? Why can they do series so well, but they really struggle when it comes to movies? Why do you think that is? Well, first of all, movies are hard. Great movies are hard to make, and and I think that you know a lot of Netflix things that I've watched, they're not awful. Like I didn't think Bright was a disaster i thought bright was fairly derivative of a lot of other different things but i mean i liked it i i, I and i think the quality is it's wildly diversion because things are hard to make good movies are hard to make but like you said you know what they've been doing is they've been really ramping up the quality and the people that they've had involved in their creative uh uh, getting the Russo brothers, getting A-list stars, spending $200 million, Martin Scorsese, the Irishman, Oscar wins. You know, they, they started – I mean, if you look back at how long Netflix has been doing this, they've really been ramping up pretty quickly. You know, they went from being canon films 
to, to being New Line, <laughs> and, right? And now they're now they're approaching Warner Brothers and Universal. So, you know, um, and and also what I've really appreciated is their international fare. You know, they keep adding like uh, money heist and crazy stuff. So, um, yeah, uh, I'm I'm hoping that uh, it just keeps getting better and better. All right, here we go. Uh, next up, we've got Isaac. Was it or did we just take a jump or was it? Uh, yes, we're at Isaac Beebe who writes. I would just like to extend my best wishes and thoughts to the people of Beirut after that horrific atomic bomb-like explosion in their city city's ports. I could not believe what I was seeing. Over 200 people died, including uh, a fellow Australian. Listen, I'll tell you what. Uh, Rob, when I saw that explosion, when I saw the news of that, I am stunned, dude. Dude. That it's only... 200 something people like when you watch the footage of that explosion what happened there um the 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 small amount and it sounds weird to say the word small amount when when you're talking about hundreds of lives lost but when i saw that explosion my immediate thought was thousands if not tens of thousands are going to have died in that rob and i remember like when it happened you and you like you and i were on uh on uh skype and you were like, "Oh my God, did you see what just happened?" Like you remember, it's like it was absolutely crazy. And anyway, your your thoughts on that situation? I, I I've never seen anything quite like that, you know. And I watched videos, all kinds of videos, and it was it was shocking. I mean, I don't think I've seen anything as shocking as that since nine. I mean, nine eleven was hor horrific, obviously, but to see, I mean, this was what they made. You remember the movie Outbreak? Oh, with Dustin Hoffman. I love that movie. Well, at the beginning of that movie, they show a, a, an ammonium nitrate aerosol, you know, air bomb going off to, to eradicate a village where this outbreak has happened. And that's what blew up. Yeah. Uh, 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 you know, they use it for fertilizers, but they use it for bombs. And, and it was – I mean, I was wondering why – why do they have s such a volatile substance? Apparently, oh, it's been there since since uh, 2014. Like, um, uh, really? Uh, why do you? I, I, I think the whole thing is suspicious to me. But uh, clearly, and there was no regulation or something. Now everybody's we're blaming people. Now the Lebanese, uh, the government doesn't want anyone to come in. They don't want reporters. They don't want foreign aid like doctors to come in. I mean, clearly, I think that they were hiding something but it, i mean it's it, it was horrific it's horrific i mean there's a, a person i've been friends with on facebook for years who's from from there and her family is there they've they've like frozen her bank account you know and she can't get money out of her bank account now and i they've already had uprisings over there i mean this is just not a good situation at all and i i think we really it speaks to the state of the world. I mean, we, we need to start screwing our heads on better because more and more, this is going to happen more and more. And this is horrific. It's horrific. There's a there's an event in Canadian history. Um, I, I believe it was in Nova Scotia. Uh, this is going back in a, a lot of years. But there was a, a ship in harbor that caught fire. And there was a bunch of explosive stuff on the boat. And ultimately it blew and like destroyed like a quarter of the city, like it just destroyed like quarter of the city. 
uh, you guys should go online and look at it, look it up. It's actually kind of stuff. And, and when I saw this stuff, this thing in Beirut, that's the first thing that came to my mind was like, Ooh, well, we've seen this before. I, I mean, it's, it's a trap, but again, I am stunned when I started hearing the death count and it was in the low hundreds. I, again, I thought when I saw that explosion, I'm like thousands, if not tens of thousands. So it's kind of remarkable. Okay, guys. Well, it's we, amazing. We, the satellite photos, I mean, it, it blew oh, yeah, a or, hole in the bay. Uh, yeah. and, and and did you see the, the, the craziest video that I saw was a video with a maid. Like she yeah, was I vacuuming. saw that. Yeah. You see, and, and like it was amazing to me because people in Lebanon have lived through this kind of – I mean they're used to bullets whizzing and bombs going off. To see somebody react that quickly to save the life of an infant who's standing in front of a – because there was two explosions. There was a first explosion that was smaller and then a much larger explosion that followed. I, I think that was the first explosion. I couldn't believe how quickly that woman reacted. I mean, to think that human beings have to live in a world where they know it's coming, that they react that quickly to an explosion is both uh, crazy, but it's also kind of sad. Uh, it is. All right. We need we need to move on here. All right. Uh, uh, a friend 72 writes, hey, John and crew. I had my first stream experience, a little shaky at first because of tech issues, but powered through it. I had a blast. I streamed uh, a D&D session for my nephew and friends. We only had three views, but it's a good start in my book. Uh, by watching you, it gave me the confidence to do to do that. Thank you and have a great day and keep doing the great work that the crew you and do, John. Oh, thank you so much. And that is awesome that you guys were able to stream. It's especially awesome that you're streaming like a D&D game. That is fantastic. And again, it doesn't matter if you had one view. 100 views it doesn't matter the fact is you're you're doing it and you're putting something out there that somebody else may have the opportunity to enjoy and i'm glad you and listen i have been doing this for a long time and i still have technical issues so don't you sweat that just power through that and i'm glad you're doing that man i hope you had fun doing it uh a friend 72 also writes lol forgot to put the question in my previous message how did you feel about your first streaming experience compared to when you stream now uh thanks john and keep bringing the filthy and stay safe well <laughs> if i remember right rob um i think i don't recall if i did live streaming before this my, I believe, first live streaming experience was when I was at AMC. Now, I had been brought over to AMC. They had recruited me to come and start like an online news division, but it was only for a blog. And when I accepted the offer, I told them, I am going to spend, the, I'm going to be lobbying that we transition to video, just so you know. And they weren't ready for us to do that yet. And I kept hammering, video is where things need to go. We need to do video. We need to do video. We need to do video. So finally, I, I remember when they finally greenlit that we could start doing video. And you have to remember, this is back in when we were in the storage closet at the AMC Burbank 16. I don't know if you were ever in there, Rob. I think we were already in the new studio by the time you first joined us. Yeah. But at the AMC Burbank 16, there's that round area of the the, the uh, theater on the outside. That that's a big glorified storage closet. Um, it's quite big, and that was our studio. And we had no internet in there. We had no internet, <laughs> and there was no way to run. The only way to run internet into it, we talked to the city, was they were going to have to dig a trench from uh, San Fernando Boulevard through the concrete and the pavement to lay the cable to go in there. And it was going to cost us around $50,000. Now, 
you might think that to a big corporation like AMC Theaters, that, oh, $50,000. No, no, no. Our budget was so small. Like, I had to get five layers of approvals to buy, like, a camera for $500. Like, so they weren't going to give us that. So, what I had to do was I had to go to, there was a Sprint store up the street. I had to go to the Sprint store, buy a 4G modem, like, wireless modem, like the type of signal you get on your phone. I had to buy a 4G wireless modem and bring that into our office And that was our internet. And so we were live streaming with this, with basically cell phone internet. We had our computers connected to it. We had our cameras and we were, and it was rough. It was rough. But I still remember Rob at the time, because this is going back six or seven years. We were amazed. We are doing what a multi-million dollar studio does we are producing a show and broadcasting it live to the world that's unbelievable we take it for for granted now but at the time it was amazing but we were doing it with pre, we were doing it on this cheap 150 dollar little uh camcorder we we had this tiny little desk that we were kind of crammed around <laughs> and we were using this janky little like 4g hotspot for our internet connection and that was our first live streaming experience but you did it but we did you it. pulled it off. We did it. And we were in that studio for a couple of years. And it was always a janky little 4G hotspot was our internet <laughs> connection. Until we moved into the new studio, which is where you came and, and joined us. Uh, yeah, that, I, that facility was pretty neat. Oh, I love that facility. Yeah, I liked it. I like going in there. You know, it was, uh, it was fun. All right. Uh, sorry. Let, uh, let's keep moving here. Uh, key... Ton Toothman writes, hey, buddy, just want to say I love you all there at the John Campion show. Thank you so much, man. Haven't used this new tip link before, so I'm not used to having this much that I can type. LOL. Anyways, how's the extra hour of sleep going? Stay healthy and great as always. Again, love you guys. So what he's talking about, if you're new here, we used to do the John Campion show at 9 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. I changed it after the hiatus to 10 a.m. because I wanted that extra hour of sleep. It's been glorious. I'm not going to lie to you. I have loved it. I am never, never say never because who knows I might someday. But right now I feel like saying I am never going back to 9 a.m. It just, it just works so much better for me. I'm able to function a lot better getting that extra hour of sleep. Rob, I haven't actually asked you yet. Like, has this been, has this new time been, been working for you okay? Like doing it at 10 instead of 9? Dude. Come on. It's the greatest thing ever because, you know, Elizabeth's in school. So she either starts her online courses at like eight in the morning. So for me, I have to get up anyway. So it allows me to sort of chill out with my coffee. And I believe it or not, I catch up on YouTube clips. I look at deadline. Is there something to talk about? You know, I'll look at Dark Horizons, see if there's any links there, and then I'll watch YouTube clips and catch up on uh, the news and what's happening. So this extra hour, I love it. So thank you very much for that. It's been been working for me, too. All right, let's move on to the next question here. Michael Bradley writes, Hello, John. I'm both disappointed and sad about the whole Mulan going to Disney Plus thing. I understand... Uh, that they don't know when theaters will be open, but I believe the ultimate movie experience is at a theater. I saw the the Mulan trailer in IMAX, uh, and it won't. 
Uh, it won't compare to watching it at home. No, it won't. Uh, I see a lot of people just saying it's going to be the new normal, and that, to me, is the saddest part. I'm hoping when theaters open back up, they will re-release Mulan so we can watch it the way it was meant to be seen. I, I don't think they can re-release it because I don't think theaters will accept it. Like Once it goes to streaming, theaters, the big theaters won't play it. So it is unfortunate. Listen, there are two things. And Rob, this is the thing that I think a lot of people forget. There is the right now normal versus what's going to be the normal eight months from now. You know, never. And I just see people making this mistake all the time that things that need to be done today because of the environment. Oh, that means that's what we're always going to do now. No, no, it's not going to be the way things are always done. There are things that are happening right now that would not would either never have happened or wouldn't have happened for another 10 years if it wasn't for the fact that we're in a pandemic that nobody was prepared for and that, you know, it changes the rules every day and things that you would have thought were impossible a few months ago are, are absolutely possible today. And like Disney releasing Mulan on a streaming service never would have happened. Never would have happened. But right now we're in an environment where it's like we don't know when the theaters are going to be open. We don't know what's going on. We've already had three or four different release dates for this movie, blah, blah. We're going to try something right now. But there will be some things that we learned from innovation during this pandemic that will probably carry over once the pandemic's done. And there's a lot of stuff that's being done today because of the pandemic that will be gone once the pandemic's gone. So I, mm. we nobody knows – what the new normal will be. There's the normal for right now, but the normal for right now is not what the new normal is going to be once the pandemic's over. Nobody knows what that's going to be like at this point, but I think it's safe to say we're not going to see Mulan like get a major release afterwards because not only will it have already played, it will continuously be on Disney Plus uh, moving forward. Uh, Rob, do you see there being any chance maybe of like, I think maybe some small independent theaters might do it, but do you see any chance of Mulan like getting a wide release in theaters once this pandemic is done, whenever that is? I don't, but of all the studios that might do a re-release, it might be Disney. I think it really depends on how this, look, this is an experiment and I don't expect it's going to go as well as they might hope it would. There's a lot of pushback. There's a lot of people that don't understand that what this is, is this is replacing, this is trying to replace a theatrical release. It's not, it's, and that's what people don't understand. The mechanism of Disney Plus, the delivery mechanism is the same, but the idea of doing this is it's first run. And people are used to pay-per-view and, and buying movies when movies have moved into the ancillary market, what Disney is trying to do is is cover their inability to release this movie theatrically. And I think people need to understand that. Now, once things change, I think we'll go more back to normal because, John, you and I know people like going to the movies. They like the communal experience. They like sitting in a giant theater with a big sound system. They want that. Now, I do think that this is going to be – this was coming down the pike anyway, first-run movies being being uh, video on demand. And I think for a lot of independent movies, what's going to happen is once people get to the idea that, oh, movies are going to be first-run and they understand first-run movies have to make what, what they would normally make at the box office – I think in our future, it's going to be much better for low-budget indie movies because they'll make more. Filmmakers will make more. Once people are used to spending a little bit more, a premium price for movies first coming out, I think once that's ingrained in people's minds and they know that that's what they're doing, 
it's going to open up a lot of opportunities for lower budget filmmakers. Maybe it's going to curtail $200 million movies from being made, which will have to be released theatrically. But I mean, look, we're all going to go back to the movie theaters at some point because we want to. But I think this is also paving the way for what's going to be happening in the future which is a lot of movies are going to be delivered and uh, uh, exactly this way. And so we'll have to get used to it. This is going to be a bumpy launch though. And it's going to be interesting to see what happens. All right, let's move on here. Next one up is Kevin, the comic doctor who writes, did you notice in the umbrella Academy, the handler used the term to, Oh yes, I did notice this. The handler used the term. Don't yuck my yum. Instantly thought of Chris Carr as I never heard that prior to her doing it on your show. Is she getting a royalty or what? Will Chris be back? Stay safe, dude. So uh, you may have not gotten to that episode yet, Rob. You may not. No, have gotten but to the I, episode. I agree. I the comic doctor. He's a wise man. Because there is that I, line. I'm watching I, it, and I didn't hear it either until Chris Carr said it. I'd never heard that before. I had never heard that saying except on this show when Chris Carr said on this show, it's like, don't yuck on my yum. And then all of a sudden I'm watching Umbrella Academy and go, and I pause. Did she just say what I thought I said? Now, here's what's funny. The producer of Umbrella Academy plays in my Star Wars role-playing game group with me. Uh, I haven't seen him in person in months. (laughs) I haven't seen him obviously because, you know, pandemic and everything. But I have got to get – I know he watches the show. I got to get a hold of him and say, okay, be honest with me. Was that a reference to what was – I mean, I honestly don't know. For all I know, Don't Yuck on My Yum has actually been around for years and I've just never heard it. I mean, that, that's probably the case. That's probably the case. But I, I am curious to ask him, did that come from my show? Like, I, I mean, I don't, did that come from Chris Carr? I, I don't know. I you know, know but I never funny. heard it before. I mean, I think, Chris, when you found her – she has, of all the people that I've met, I'd say in the last 10 years, she has one of the most appealing personalities of, of anyone I've ever met in 10 years. I mean, being in a room with her is just a delightful experience. And so of all the people that come up with something like that, it's perfect that she was the one. Because yeah, I, I, you, when you said did. When you said, of all the people I've met last year, I expected you to say hers was the most human. I, I just, for whatever reason, I thought you were going to go there. No, Chris Carr is delightful, man. I, 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 I look, I, I look forward to when we're able to actually get her back in here. So, uh, but yeah, I I thought the exact same thing, Kevin, the comic doctor. I'm gonna have to ask my friend that and see what's up with that. All right, an anonymous viewer writes in, John. I haven't been able to catch the show in a few weeks. I know, uh, I know you've missed me. Just wanted to show some love. Oh, thanks so much for that, man. I, I would. Uh, oh, and then Miggy B, the, the announcement was Miggy B, and some more love. Well, thanks for that, Miggy. It's always great when somebody wants to write in just to say something nice and be supportive. So I appreciate that. And it's good to have you here, my friend. So thank you for that. All right. Colby Harris writes, Dear John and Rob, how do you talk about need stuff? Probably meant nerd stuff. How do you talk about nerd stuff like comic book characters or Star Wars stuff without getting copyright claims? I want to do a geek culture show, but I'm scared of getting sued. No, no, you can talk about whatever you want. Yeah, you can say whatever you yeah, want. You, you can talk about whatever you want. There's nothing about that. The only time it becomes a little iffy, the only time it becomes um, a little iffy is when you're using images or video or audio from those things. 
Now, there is fair use law that should protect most of it. If you're just, you know, if I'm talking about Superman, I should be able to bring up a picture of Superman as I'm talking about Superman. That's fair use. Um, and you can, I would encourage you, I'm no, I'm no lawyer right now. So what I would encourage you to do is to go online, search for use, but when it comes to talking about stuff, oh, you can talk about whatever the hell you want. No worries. No questions there. Not something you have to give one ounce of worry about Colby. You go ahead and you talk about whatever you want to talk about. All right. Hopefully that's helpful to you. Mike Thompson writes. Haven't been able to watch the live questions portion of the show in a while, so apologies if this has already been asked. I just wanted to hear thoughts on the holy balls news of the week about The Rock buying the XFL. Yeah, for those of you who have not heard, Dwayne The Rock Johnson and an investment group, it's not just Dwayne Johnson, he is part of an ownership group that have bought the XFL, I believe, for $15 million. Yeah. That's how low-valued the XFL is. But I'll tell you what. When there was no football on and the this new incarnation of the XFL, I I thought it was a pretty good brand of football. It, it wasn't as good as the NFL. It wasn't as good as the CFL. But for football to be on TV when there's no football, it, it was a pretty entertaining little product. And I liked some of their rule changes. I did. Uh, but then it went out. Vince McMahon gave up on it again. But now The Rock's in there, so hopefully we'll see it make a triumphant return in a year or so. I, I would really love to see it, and I hope it succeeds. All right, next up. Uh, uh, Batman needs a mask rights. Greetings and salutations, John. I've been watching your show since before the AMC studio. Well, thank you so much, man. Uh, when your background was nothing but a curtain. I have to say that your show has created a community... Uh, let's see, there it is, two or three, and a passion within the community that j just as movies did for you as a kid has inspired many young Padawans across the internet. As weird as it may be for a grown man to let to tell another grown man that he's never met this, uh, I love you and wish you nothing but success for you. Uh, with that being said, there's no denying the change in topics on your show during COVID. If most theaters shut down for good post-COVID, uh, which I doubt, how would that affect the John Campia show? All right, thanks a lot for asking, and thank you for the Kind words, dude. That was really nice of you to say. Thank you so much for that, man. That means a lot to me. Um, yeah, listen, it has been a big topic of conversation behind the scenes about how do we navigate what's going on with COVID. And look, I'm, I'm going to pull back the curtain. I'm, I'm going to let you know. I'm going to tell you some stuff here that, that maybe I shouldn't talk about publicly, but I'll let you know that, yeah, when, look, as the COVID pandemic progressed, Rob, one of the sadder things to watch was ESPN. There was <laughs> no sports, and yet ESPN was trying to continue their 24-hour-a-day sports programming and sports center. They literally, I would tune into sports center, which normally is something I would watch every day. But I would only like watch it once every two weeks or so uh, at the time. And, you know, it turned into sports center, and they're talking about, watch this the highlight from this ping pong match at this high school. And it's like, really? That's what we're watching on Sports Center? And it became sad. It was just sad to watch. And I know, Rob, you and I have had conversations about this. And, and you know, one of the things I really didn't want the John Campy show to become was Sports Center during right. the pandemic. It's like, okay, so they're talking about kids playing ping pong. Uh, look at this uh, clip of two people playing tennis across two different rooftops, which is a pretty fun clip. I, I got to say, yeah. that's a pretty fun clip. But it's like, are with no new movies coming out theatrically, <laughs> is the John Campia show 
which is the best damn movie-related show on the planet. But <laughs> is the John Campus show going to become pathetic like like ESPN is right now? Is the fact that are we going to be scraping for things to talk about each and every day to the point that there's not even a point of doing the show right now? Hence, you know, I made the decision a while back. I was getting overloaded. I wasn't getting caught up on my on my documentary. I wasn't making progress on my documentary, which I am finally making progress on my documentary. But that was part of the reason why we took a three-week hiatus was because, listen, there's not a ton of stuff to talk about right now. And I am getting burned out. And I'm not making progress on my documentary. So all three of those factors went into saying, you know what, I'm going to put the show on hi- hiatus for a bit. Now, it is a marvel and a wonder, Rob, that we have been able to continue to do the John Campia show. You've been doing observations and, and uh, whining about movies. Um, it is a wonder that in the midst of pandemic and no new movies coming out and all that kind of stuff, we've been able to, to still go and still getting the types of numbers that we are. Yeah. Um, despite that, like I, I, if you had asked me five months ago, John, you're going to go four or five months with no new movies but you're still going to do the John Campus show. What do you think the view numbers on your show are going to be? Oh, I would say in the hundreds, in the hundreds, instead of still being 20 or 30 or 40,000 views of a show, I I thought it would be in the hundreds. So it's amazing about that, but yeah, it has happened that it does affect. Obviously there's less news coming out. There are some days where there are stories that normally I wouldn't talk about, but it's that, story is the second biggest story today so we'll talk about it and it's continued to have an effect we're getting closer to movies opening up again so we're getting things like this john wick news and we're getting the knight rider news and we're so there are still days when there's still a decent amount of stuff to talk about but like if the theaters shut down for for even a prolonged more prolonged period of time uh, I don't know. I don't, maybe I I put the John. I mean, the John Cable show will always be here, but maybe I put the show on another hiatus, another maybe three week hiatus as we wait for theaters to open back up. But if the movie theaters were to shut down permanently, Rob, my love of movies will diminish a little bit. It's like I love the CFL. I, I love the Canadian Football League. I love. I do. I love it. But. My love for it, even though I still love it, my love for it has diminished just a little bit since I can't actually go to Hamilton Tiger Cat football games. Like being able to go and be a part of it and all that kind of stuff, that just takes it up a notch, you know? And, you know, I've told you before, I wake up every day that I know I'm going to a movie that day. I wake up with a, with a smile on my face and a skip in my step, man. Every day that I would wake up knowing today at some point today or tonight, I'm going to a movie theater to watch a movie. It It just... It makes the day better. If I can't have that movie going experience, I think my love of movies doesn't disappear, but I think it drops a little bit. I don't know. What what, what do you think? Well, you know, one of the things I I like to do is, is when big tentpole movies come out, I like to see them at the Cinerama in Hollywood. I I love that theater. I've been going there for 30 years. So I pre-buy as soon as the tickets go on sale, sometimes months in advance, I pre-buy my tickets. I get my favorite seats. You know, I stay up to get them when they go on sale. There was a lot of work involved. And this summer, you know, I had I had my perfect seats for no time. Well, in April, no time to die. I had my seats for the Fast Saga. You know, so I anticipate this for months. And I know that I'm going to go to the Arclight. I know that I'm going to have their bolognese for dinner. I know that I'm going to get one of their great cocktails. I know I'm going to go with Elizabeth. I know we're going to sit down. I'll get my glass of wine for the movie and my popcorn. I mean, I anticipate this 
months in advance sometimes. And I can't wait. You know, I'm, I'm so, I was so excited to no time to die. And, and my whole summer, since I was a kid, I, I've, I've marked the time in my life by what big summer movies have come out. You know, because ever since Star Wars was coming out in May, you know, and then the summer movie season and my birthday movies, like my dad took me to see Friday the 13th for my 13th birthday. And, you know, it's, 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 it's movies are my life, you know, and, and this summer I feel like, I feel like I wish I wasn't aging. I wish that I got to halt the march of time in my own body because I did not get the movies. I do not have the movie memories that I've had for the rest of the 45 years of my life or whatever since I've been going to the movies this summer. And it's, it re I really do feel that there's something in my personal makeup. I know that, you know, this is, this is first world problems. But for me personally, the way I viewed movies, my life has been diminished this summer. Yeah. <laughs> I know everybody's as. And, and the only thing, John that really has kept me going is doing our shows. It's, it's, it's given me that lifeline to keep my enthusiasm for what we love going. Because if we weren't doing our shows, I think that it would be rather depressing. I would lose touch with, with some of that. And as I get older, I don't want to do that. I want to, I want to retain my childlike sense of wonder and love of, of movies and TV and entertainment and all these things. Yeah, and I've, I've gotten emails from people saying, hey, with no new movies coming out, watching the show has kept my passion for movies going, which is yep. which is great. And it has for me, too. But yeah, it, it's uh, but, you know, we adapt. We we do what we need to do. And if that means at some point I need I decide to take like another like two or three week hiatus, then we do that. But then we come back. So, you know, it's it's something just like everything else. Um, Batman needs a mask about. You know, all the studios are trying to figure this out as they go. All the theaters are trying to figure this out as they go. There's no playbook for this. There's no precedent for this. We are trying to figure this out as we go. Like, I know guys like Christian Harloff are trying to figure this out as they go. I know when you look at, you know, Stuckman and Jeremy Johns, like, they're scraping for what do they do. and what. Like, everybody in the movie industry right now is just trying to figure this out as we go. And that means I'm going to make some brilliant uh, fantastic visionary decisions and I'm going to make some horrible cataclysmic awful decisions like as as we get past this and I look back on it but we're all trying to figure it out as we go and so am I but thank you for asking about that listen we're, we still got a ton of questions to go so we need to keep moving but thank you so much for writing that in and asking all right Garrett Couch writes John didn't you say at one point that you changed to a Google phone uh, well I always use Android I switched from um, I switched from iPhones to Android a long time ago but yes I did specifically buy the Google Pixel 3 XL I had the Google Pixel 3 XL for a while uh, John didn't you say that at one point you changed to a Google phone I just got a Google Pixel 4 and the photography is just bizarrely good the cameras on the Google phones I believe are the best there are like I have a, a right now I have a note 10 plus. And it's got a great camera. Don't get me wrong, but the camera on my Google Pixel Three was better. Uh, and so I haven't even I haven't even used the Google Pixel Four. And the Google Pixel Five is supposed to come out. The cameras are insane, insanely good. Anyway, uh, plus Google Assistant is great. It, the Google Assistant is fabulous. Um, and at least for me, the battery lasts. Before this, I exchanged five iPhone sixes in five months. Never again. Yeah, I loved my Google Pixel Three. I did. My problem was. That my Google Pixel 3, the Bluetooth on my phone started getting really sketchy. 
And like, I have a Bluetooth lock on my front door. So when my Bluetooth is sketchy on my phone, I have a hard time getting into my house because I unlock my, my house with my phone. And if the Bluetooth's not connecting, it can be. So there have been times, Rob, when I literally stood outside of my house for like four or five minutes turning off and turning on my Bluetooth, trying to connect to my door lock. <laughs> or when I would just, the simple things you take for granted, like getting into your car and the car just connects automatically to your phone. And I, I couldn't listen to my podcast or my music in my car because half the time it wouldn't work. So because my phone had that one defect, I went to the store and I found out the Google, the, the Samsung Note 10 Plus had just come out. And they said, you know, We'll give you like $600 credit for a trade-in on that Google Pixel 3 if you get this Samsung. I'm like, done. And I got the Note 10 Plus, and I love it. Um, <clears throat> right now, I'm thinking about getting the new Note 20 Ultra. I'm thinking about waiting for the Google Plus 5. Hell, I might even wait to see what they do with the iPhone 12. Who knows? May maybe it's time to give iPhone a chance again because I haven't uh, given them a chance in a while since I moved off it. Anyway, uh, next up, James Argenta writes, if the Oscars happen this year, do COVID-19 rules uh, for the Oscars this year allow films like Bill and Ted 3 or Mulan to be nominated? Yes. They've already announced that they are going to kind of modify the rules for the next Oscars to make more accommodation for films that go straight to streaming than they do previously. So yes, films like Bill and Ted 3 and, and Mulan will be eligible when maybe in other years they wouldn't be. This year they will because they're making accommodations for that. Superman fan writes, the other day a teacher asked about Superman. There is a documentary made in 2006 look, called Look Up in the Sky, The Amazing Story of Superman. I think somebody else actually mentioned that one already. And again, that teacher wrote in to thank all of you guys, all of you who wrote into the comments section and everything about different places that teacher could go to get that documentary material. And I know they were very grateful and it's just a great example of the community does. So thank you, Superman fan, for adding your voice to that. I appreciate that, man. All right. Immature child the God writes regarding Mulan uh, PVOD and theatrical releases are two different products. They don't have the same value to consumers. That's true. Uh, big budget movies can't work without theaters. It's trying to sell a car without an engine, trying uh, without each other's uh, the price tag needs to come way down. And again, it, it just kind of highlights the, the economics are complicated when it comes to these big movies. Everybody thinks, oh, I'll just take that big movie and put it on streaming. Well, then the studios that made the movie is going to go broke because they can't make the kind of money there that they did here. But we are in a pandemic. There are no movie theaters open right now. So what do you do? Do you just continue, continue to sit on it and wait? Or do you make the best of a bad situation and try something different like what Bill and Ted 3 is doing, like what Mulan is doing? Three months ago, I would have said that's stupid. Today? <laughs> Today, as, it, as the, the pandemic stretches on, it's something they kind of look at. So I totally agree with you, man. I do. But we're in an environment right now where they got to try some stuff right now to make the bad of a, best, of a bad situation until we can get past this. RJ24 writes, hey, John, love the show. Thank you so much. I don't agree uh, that Disney will release Mulan on Disney Plus after three months. Pre-COVID, Aladdin and Lion King were released three months after the VOD on Disney Plus. Post-COVID, Frozen 2 and Rise of Skywalker was released 30 days after VOD. Thoughts? Um, I think they're going to treat... Rob, I think they're going to treat Mulan a little bit different, and they're going to go more straight to Disney Plus as quickly as possible. Right now, they're putting a, a bigger emphasis on trying to get people signed up to Disney Plus. But even if they don't, it's going to be roughly 90 days. Whether it's 90 days or 30 more days on top of that, the point is, relatively soon, 
There are going to be people who do not pay that extra $30 to get Mulan right now because if they're already Disney Plus subscribers, they already know that relatively soon they're just going to get it for no additional cost. Whether that's 30 days, whether that's 20 days, whether that's 40 days, whether that's 150 days, whatever. So it's it's really kind of a moot point. Plus, I think we're seeing Disney kind of evolve their strategy. How do you think they're going to handle Mulan when it comes to that, Rob? Well, dude, I think it's all up in the air right now. And I think what people have to remember, when it comes to Mulan, the reason they're doing this is they are trying to replace the money they're not going to make theatrically. And and it, it is – I wish that they spent a little bit more time educating people about this. Um, you know, what do I – gosh, I, I think I – think, what we're going to see with this is it's an experiment. Now, I don't think it's going to work, John. I don't think that the $30 thing is – I don't think it's going to work. And I think that we're going to see it released theatrically in a lot of other places. I think China, if the movie's good – we don't know if the movie's good yet. I hope it's good. It's going to do well in the theatrical markets it's released in. But with the theatrical market, even if it does gangbuster business you've got 50 percent capacity in the theaters so even theatrical box office if all the theaters were open you're still going to make half of what you would normally make if all the theaters are open without covid so then you've got disney plus what are those windows going to be are they going to keep windows at 30 or three months i don't think so I think this is the beginning of a fundamental shift in all windows, in all the way things are done. I wouldn't be surprised. I mean, we've got AMC and Universal 17-day deal theatrically and then a, a share of SVOD profits with theaters. I mean, we're seeing the beginning of a massive sea change in the entire industry. And I think we're going to see it play out over the next two or three years and we're going to see a huge evolution. This is going to be a giant, uh, a giant mutation, as it were. And to be honest, I don't know. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm really curious. I still curious. don't think this AMC Universal thing is going to have any impact on anything because it becomes it becomes a toothless lion if Regal doesn't also sign up for it, and if Cinemark doesn't also sign up. Because if they don't sign up for it, then the deal AMC Universal made can't happen because universal isn't going to put out fast nine in just amc theaters they're not going to do that they can't but do, do you that think, financially do you think that that this mulan experiment um it could have huge ramifications on the movie exhibition business absolutely and then i mean i am surprised that all of these decisions are being made I mean, we know that they Disney contacted theaters, but you've seen that video that's been going around of some theater owner or somebody who worked at a theater destroying that Mulan standee. I, I mean, this is – I don't think we, – we don't – there's no collective bargaining going on. There's no – I mean, where's the confab where everybody's getting together, all the exhibitors and NATO and everybody? Why isn't there a big discussion being had about how to move forward? And, and now with all the streaming services, whether it's Peacock, whether it's HBO Max, whether it's Disney Plus, you'd think everybody would be on the same page. And it seems like it's now become the Wild West and everything is just completely up in the air. Well, I mean, and it's I, kind of – it's the repercussions of a pandemic that, that, again, you know, you and I have said many times, 
we are in the wild west because there is no pre it's it's like whenever something comes along you can look back at, at something similar that happened in history to see how to navigate it the the theatrical exhibition has never had a situation like this in in our lifetimes where the the, the studios are facing a market where there has been no place to exhibit their movies for five months and everybody's kind of trying to figure out figure it out as it goes right now and it's just so you're getting different people trying different things and right now really people don't even know when the theaters are going to be open and uh, i don't know but look i i agree i don't think that mulan is going to get say 25 million buys I don't, I don't think either. it's going to get 25 million buys, which is what it would need to do to roughly equate what Mulan could have made and would have made in theaters. Uh, even after the 1.5 multiplier, they're, they're going to need to make about 25 million buys. I think they can get 10 million, which will be their break even point. But I don't think they're going to get 25. But listen, Rob, we said the other day, if Mulan comes out and Disney Plus reports 30 million buys of it. Or 35 million buys, which would be more than one out of every two Disney Plus subscribers. So I don't think that's going to happen at all. But if it did, if it does, well, changes that's a game changer. everything. Changes everything. Now, I, I clearly don't think that's going to happen remotely. But I also thought theaters were going to be open in July. So right. what do I or anybody know about what's going on in a pandemic era? But if it does, changes absolutely everything hey listen rob we're getting close here to 11 30 i know you got things you got to go and do and edit but thank you for being here again rob and in the meantime where can people follow you and your adventures online well john thank you it's been a, a fine week on the john campy show so thank you for having me uh you can find me on twitter at burnett rm find me on instagram at robert meyer burnett and uh find me on my own youtube channel the burnett work and my show rob observations the show about something a pleasure and honor as always sir and i will talk to you again soon Yes, sir. Have a good one. All right, guys. With that down, we still have a bunch of things to get to. So let's keep right on flying here as fast as we can. See how many of your questions we can get through. Hopefully, we can get through almost all of them. Uh, let's see. Andrew writes, even as a single viewer, the $30 makes sense to me. Mulan was a film I was going to go see at a premium screen, an RPX, an IMAX, an R a 4DX, and a single ticket for one of those and a small popcorn and drink cost $30 for all the theaters I've been through. True. That is true, Andrew. But what I want to point out, at least for not for everybody, for, for, for people like me, is that it's, it's fine to look at that and say, oh, I was going to spend this much and I'm going to be spending the same much at home. But what are you getting for that money? Because while you're going to be spending roughly the same amount of money, you are not getting the same thing in return. Because yeah, if you choose to go to one of the premium theaters, like a AMZ prime, a 4DX, an IMAX, whatever, you are getting a vastly superior experience than what you're going to get at home. This is one of the things I was bringing up the other day. It's like, okay, I get to pay 30 bucks for Mulan and I get to do what I do every day. I get to sit in my same couch, watch my same TV and do. So I get to do what I do every day. Only I'm paying 30 bucks to do it. 
for you, what you were explaining as being somebody of taste and culture, you wanted to go to the IMAX, to the AMC Prime. You wanted to go to the 40X. You want to go to a premium screening of it. You're getting a night out with friends in a crowded room with other fans to have that shared experience on a premium screen with premium sound and all that kind of stuff. So, yes, you're spending roughly the same amount of money. But the product you're getting in return is a vastly inferior product. Not to everybody, but for people like me, it's a vastly inferior product. It is a vastly inferior product. Again, we'll go back to the Endgame experience. I feel sad for anybody who watched, who had their first experience watching, you know, Avengers Endgame with the portal scene and the Mjolnir scene and, and all the other things. I feel sad for people who had to watch that at home for the first time and not weren't able to be in that theater with that crowd and that energy and the big screen and be able to experience that. It's, it's just unfortunate. So again, yes, same price, but what are you getting for the price? I get to do what I do every single night or I get a night out with my friends, premium screen, premium sound, whole crowd to enjoy the movie with, all that kind of stuff. I would say one is better than the other. Now, to some people, and I'm not knocking it, to some people, there are there are friends of mine, friends of mine who are watching this show right now. So yes, I'm, I'm talking to you. There are friends of mine whose whole life is about searching for new ways to never have to leave the house, right? <laughs> we all know those people. Maybe some of you are those people. I've got friends of mine who everything about their life is about finding ways that they never have to leave their house. They'd rather just stay at home all day, every day. And hey, God bless if that's you. So for some people, the appeal of that is a little more evident. If you're somebody like me who likes getting out of the house, who likes going out with friends, who likes being in social situations, uh, pandemic notwithstanding, obviously that's a different situation right now, then the product of what I'll get for watching Mulan at home versus the product of what I'll get going out with friends to a real true screen with an, with a, an audience and a crowd, no comparison. No comparison. Same price tag, different value. But it, again, it all depends on what it is you as an individual value. And that's going to be different from person to person, right? It's going to be different for all of us. Just like film is subjective, how we enjoy experiencing them is subjective. I and some people like it one way, other people like it another way. So it all depends on, on what it is you value. It, it all depends on what it is you value. And uh, then that will determine what the right choice for you is. But right now, there is no choice because movie theaters aren't open. So we got one choice. Watch it on TV. <laughs> that's that's the only option we have. So uh, that kind of takes the choice. Anyway, thank you for bringing that up, Andrew. I think that was a really great point for you to raise. All right. Uh, let's see here. T3 Medias writes, hey, John, uh, sorry that question about unlocking came from us at talking through the medias, getting used to the tip link. Unlocking what? I don't I don't remember what question unlocking was from. Anyway, I appreciate that you tried to write in to clarify. That's always very considerate when people think they weren't clear. And so they write in again just to clarify. You don't have to do that. And I think that's very considerate. So even though I'm not quite sure which question we're talking about, that's very considerate of you to do that, T3 Medias. Thank you for that. A random Asian guy writes, under the current political climate, would Disney dare to, to release it online if it was their first strong black female lead live action adaptation instead of Mulan? Would they probably rather uh, put Black Widow online first if that was the case? Um, I don't really think it matters. Listen, either way, 
it it doesn't matter if it let's say it was a storm standalone movie right let's say it was a storm standalone movie i i don't think it matters to them i don't think it matters <laughs> the fact that mulan is a asian female led movie i don't believe that had anything to do with their decision to put this out on streaming i don't think that had anything to do with it any more than if it was a storm movie that it being a female black led movie i don't think who's leading, i don't think that played into the decision about which movie to try this experiment with i really don't i don't think it suggests that they overvalue it i don't think it suggests that they undervalue it if they were just looking for a cheap throwaway movie then they would have probably tried to find a way to put new mutants up online but uh although there are other c- complications with that as well so i might be wrong I might be wrong, random Asian guy. Uh, for all I know, is my brother-in-law. Uh, I, I might be wrong, but I, I honestly, personally, don't think that had anything to do with it. If it was a, if it was a storm movie that was in the same kind of position right now at this same time with the pandemic and all this upheaval and people trying to figure it out if it was a storm movie that was in that position right now than Mulan, I don't think they would have made any different of a decision. But I'm just speculating. I'm just guessing. It's an interesting thing to bring up, though. All right. Sam Phillip writes, uh, hashtag Team Kong right on, brother. I love my boy Godzilla, but he is going down, down, down. Look, I don't know who will win. They're saying in Godzilla versus Kong, there will be a definitive winner in the fight. I don't know who they're going to have win. It's going to be up to whoever they decide to have win. I know who I'm cheering for, though. I love Godzilla. But I'm cheering for the king, baby. I'm, te- I'm cheering for King Kong. See, Godzilla's got more strength. King Kong, putting in MMA turns, he's got the speed advantage. He's got technique, you know? He's got that technique. I think he could execute some good ground and pound on Godzilla. Get down there, start dropping elbows, you know? I- I'm, ch- I'm cheering for Kong. All right. Oh, my Josh times 12 writes, Hey, John and company. Hope you're all doing well. I am doing well. Thank you so much for that. Uh, next up. Um, hi, John and company. Hope you're all doing well. Just letting you know, I found Zevia at my local market, tried the ginger ale flavor, and it's really good. I've been mixing it uh, with simply watermelon juice, and it tastes like drinking Jolly Rancher's soda. You know what? I have tried all the different Zevias, the uh, drink in, in question here. This, this is the stuff that I'm always talking about that I'm always drinking every day. This is the stuff that you see me drinking every day. I've tried all the flavors. I got to say my favorite is still just their straight up cola flavor. Mmm, delicious. I, I love it. I'm really psyched on it. And it's always encouraging to see so many people trying it now because I talk about it, which just emphasizes the point. Hashtag sponsor me, you sons of bitches at Zevia. Uh, I, I've got to turn more people onto your product, damn it, than anybody. I would go so far as there's not anybody in the world who is more responsible for getting more people to try your product than me sponsor me you sons of bitches i do love your product i gotta say anyway i'm glad you tried it i'm glad you're enjoying it oh my josh all right uh let's see uh next up uh where are we at we are at ready teddy Seti writes hey john i hope i caught rob this time just missed him just missed him i hope i caught rob this time uh i hear you guys talking anime some lately my favorite is birdie the mighty i've never heard of that one uh both the ova and decode series i hope to see a live action version one day have you ever seen this anime if so can you can you bring it to live action well listen you can theoretically bring anything to live action some things might require more adaptation than the other but i i'm not going to pretend that I know what Birdie the Mighty is. I've I've never even heard of it, to be honest with you. And and I'm not a big anime guy. There's some anime I really, really like, 
but I'm clearly not a big anime guy. So I've never heard of that one myself. So I can't comment on whether or not I think they, that would translate well. But again, you can translate anything into live action. It just depends. Some things will require more adaptation than the other. And you'll have to tell me if Birdie the Mighty is something that would require a lot of adaptation to make it live action, or maybe not all that much. I'll have to rely on your expertise on that, because clearly I'm not the one who has it. All right, Willow writes, I didn't realize that there was a Ratched series coming until someone brought it up yesterday. Why is it that Netflix seems to have a much better track record with creating original TV series than movies? Uh, are series easier to make than films? Well, yes. Television, listen, I've said this before. Making good television is difficult. Make no mistake about it. And the people who can do it and do it well, I am in awe of. But it is easier to make television than it is to make movies. And the main reason for that is time. Right? In a television show, like how many shows have you guys seen where somebody says, yeah, you got to get through the first four or five episodes, but then it starts to get really good, right? Because a television show has that luxury. You can introduce your characters and introduce the basic story over the course of four or five hours, right? Over the course of five, six, seven episodes, you can just get everything set up. And then you can get into the main meat of it, and then you can start to bring it to resolution over the course of 10, 12, 20 40, 60 episodes over the course of one, two, or three years. Movie making is exponentially more difficult because you have to introduce the characters, introduce the premise, ignite the main issue, then flesh out your story, and then bring it to conclusion in two hours. Sometimes 90 minutes, sometimes two and a half hours, whatever. But you've got to do all of that like that. Television, it's easier. Not easy, not easy, just easier. It's easier. But for whatever reason, I think Netflix hasn't approached their original series with the same who cares mentality that they seem to do with their movies. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier. With Netflix original films, they seem to, all they really care about is quantity. Look at all this original content we're putting out, guys. They don't care if it's low quality crap, they don't care. Every once in a while, they'll have like a old guard. Every once in a while, they'll have a Irishman. But for the most part, those are one out of every hundred. But they seem to have a different philosophy with their original series. They seem to put a lot more care and attention and they seem to value their original series. That's just their identity more. And so they put a lot more attention. And again, I, I thought that trailer for Ratchet was amazing. I thought it was amazing. Sarah Paulson looked so good in that. Again, that line in that trailer, what are you going to do about it? She says nothing. What are you, deaf? No, I'm just thinking about all the things I'm going to do about it. What are the best lines ever? Love that line. But I, anyway, that's just kind of my, uh, I, I mean, I could be dead wrong and all that, but that's just kind of the way I see that. All right. Uh, D writes, Hey, John, like many, I love the movie going experience. I saw a uh, Promare in theaters recently and it was a blast, but also collect BR slash SB. I don't know what that is, unfortunately. Relating to this, relating this to Tenet, how do you think Warner Brothers would back? Do you think Warner Brothers would back pop up drive ins uh, for it, especially for 30 to 75 millimeter screenings, extra cash for film? I don't think you can do a pop up drive in with a 35 to 75 millimeter IMAX. I, I don't think it takes very specialized equipment to do that. Plus, you got to remember this 
the drive-in revenue is minuscule. It's minuscule. Right? I think they said right now there are like 200 and something drive-in theaters in America open right now. That includes some of the new pop-up ones. And we've got Walmart's going to do like 100 and something of them too. But you got to remember, a movie like, say, Tenet was going to open in 3,000 screens in North America alone. It was going to open on 3,000 screens in North America alone. Even with Walmart popping up, that's going to be 10 times less. Not only is it 10 times less than the amount of screens, it's going to be about 30 or 40 times fewer the amount of screenings. Because in a regular theater, you can have a 10 a.m., a 12 p.m., a 2 p.m., a 4 p.m., 6 p.m., all that then at night. At most drive-in theaters, you can only have one or two at most screenings after it gets dark at like 8 p.m. So really the, the financial, while the cultural impact of having these drive-ins is great because I, Ann and I have gone a couple of times already this past month and love it. But the reality is the financial impact is minimal. It's hyper, hyper minimal. So I don't know if that's going to be a big factor there, D. I don't know if it's going to be a big factor. Uh, maybe there's things I'm not taking into consideration, but it, it would be a, a, at best, it would be a minimal, minimal impact it would have, unfortunately. All right. B. Wayne, New York writes, hey, John, what do you think about DC and Marvel doing a joint PSA campaign to encourage kids to wear masks when they return to class, uh, class, TV, posters, et cetera, in schools? Kids might be more apt to wearing one if Batman, Wonder Woman, Iron Man and others say it's the right thing to do. Uh, I mean, look, any kind of good public service announcement's a good idea. Sure. Why not? Uh, I've got my opinions about things, which I won't get into here. Uh, but yes, any type of public service announcement for doing something smart is always a good idea. So sure, if they did something like that, I think it would be grand. Whenever Marvel and DC decide to team up and do something together, I think it's a pretty good thing. And uh, that would certainly be one thing for them to worth doing. Anyway, Jim K writes, Hey, John. Have you watched any of the shows on Quibi? I have not, and I have no plans to. Uh, I have been, um, I haven't been. I am interested in a couple of the shows, like the new version of The Fugitive and Die Hard. That Die Hard looks kind of funny. John Travolta's in that, by the way, in Die Hard. Uh, wasn't sure if it was worth trying in order to watch them. Haven't really heard much about it. Nah, I, I, I have zero interest in Quibi. Even though I've seen the trailers for like Die Hard, I thought, oh, that looks cute. I, I honestly have no interest in it whatsoever. Especially once they were like, oh, you can only, they, they don't have a, an app for it so you can watch it on your TV. It's like only supposed to watch on your phone. Well, that's stupid. That's, that's just stupid. Um, again, it was an interesting concept about doing everything with really, really short form content. Interesting to launch an entire platform on that. Interesting. But I never thought it would work. But there are things I haven't thought would work that end up working. So I, I was interested, but yeah, it just, it's never done anything for me to get me interested. And apparently I'm not alone because not many people have tried it. So yeah, right now, I, I'm just being honest with you. I'm, I'm not saying boycott Quibi. No, if you want to try Quibi, go try Quibi and let me know how it is. I, I just, for me right now, I have no interest in trying it myself. So that's just me, Jim. So you and I are kind of in the same boat on that. All right. Jim K writes. 
Hey, John, I am pulling for theaters to reopen more wide in a few weeks. So Train to Busan Presents Peninsula. I'm dying to see that uh, is able to come out. Can't wait to see it. Have you seen the first one? And if so, thoughts on that and this new entry? Thanks. I love Train to Busan. And I'm somebody who's kind of tired and over zombie movies. I'm kind of tired and over zombie movies. I love Train to Busan. It had all the best elements of zombie movies and a bunch of things that a lot of zombie movies miss out on. It was fantastic. And I thought the trailer for Peninsula looked really good too. So I am dying to see it. I I personally, just speaking for myself, I can't wait. All right. Johnny5619 writes, John Wick 5 and 4 shoot back to back and I can't wait. But when it comes to New Mutants, over under 20% that Professor X shows up at the end and the kids... Uh, and gets the kids. And who do you think will be uh, who who will who it will be? McAvoy or Stewart? And everyone on the show and watching. Have a good day and love the show. Thank you so much for that, Johnny Five. I'll be honest with you. At most, I would give the chance of Professor X showing up at the end one percent. At most, I think they made it pretty clear that this New Mutants was very very unique even when fox was still in existence it was kind of going to be standalone um so yeah i i don't expect now again never say that's why i'm not saying zero anything's possible but i will be very surprised if that happens so i'm going to give it like a one percent chance one percent uh so i i think it's incredibly unlikely that that happens And because it's such a low percentage chance of that happening, again, I'm not going to say impossible because we've seen crazier things happen, but because I consider it to be such a low possibility, I'm not even going to guess about whether it would be McAvoy or Stewart because I really don't think it's going to happen. I just think everything I've seen from this movie really suggested it's very much was approached like a standalone thing. So I don't expect to see that tied in at the end. Never know. Never know. But I, I would say probably not. Probably not going to happen. All right. Doolittle's mom writes, I have an idea for a movie commentary video. My son, Doolittle. Uh, You can see my baby boy is killing it at the box office in China. Hey, it's not doing, compared to other things, it's doing pretty good in China. Um, Hell, you can, but it's still lost tons of money. Uh, Hell, you can even do the video in your Doolittle voice. The whole movie, Robert Downey Jr. talks like this. This and this only. No other inflection. That was terrible. Uh, If not, you think you can do a whole, uh, if, if not, you think you can do a hole in that voice? It's hilarious. Oh, you mean a whole episode? Yeah, I, I don't, I don't think I could do an entire episode in that voice. Ah, uh, it's so unfortunate too because listen, there have been other Robert Downey Jr. movies that I haven't liked the movie, but I've enjoyed Robert Downey Jr. I have never seen a movie with Robert Downey Jr. where I've said Robert Downey Jr. wasn't good in this until Doolittle. It's the first time I've, I, I thought Robert Downey Jr. wasn't good. Even when he's been in bad movies, I always think he's good because he's great. But this was the first one I was really disappointed. All right. John uh, Klobuchar writes, that joke about fingerprints from anime. Oh, I remember that one. That joke about fingerprints from Animaniacs is still one of the most jaw-dropping innuendos in kids' TV. That's the thing. Animaniacs. We're the Animaniacs. There's baloney in our slacks. I love Animaniacs. I can recite most of the songs. Not many men my age should be able to boast about that. But yes, I can recite almost every Animaniac song. Um, so uh, Lake Titicaca. Anyway, I love the Animaniacs. 
Animaniacs though has always been borderline adult. It's kids, but it's borderline adult at the same time with many of the stuff. And the fingerprints joke, for those of you who don't know what the joke is. So you got Yakko, Wacko, and Dot are in this room, right? And there, the Yakko says, search for fingerprints. And a second or two later passes, and Dot, the sister, shows up carrying the the musical icon Prince. She's carrying Prince, wearing a purple suit, and she's carrying, she goes, I found Prince. And Yakko says, fingerprints. And then Prince smiles, and she goes, I don't think so. Fingerprints. In a kid's show. But that's the thing about Animaniacs. It would they always they, in the midst of it all, they always drop some very adult-themed innuendo. There was a few with the nurse as well. They were always dropping incredibly, incredibly uh, adult stuff. Uh, then even if you look at the Good Feathers, that was like no kid, no kid watched the Good Fellas. But they had these characters, these three birds on the show that were called the Good Feathers. That was a complete homage to the Good Fellas. No children had watched Good Feather, Good uh, Good Fellas, and yet they had these these things. And it was uh, that's one of the things I always loved about Animaniacs, man. It's one of the things I always loved about it. But that fingerprints joke was like, oh my god, it was crazy adult. All right, Luke one two three four writes. When you upgrade your equipment, do you sell the former equipment and use that money towards upgrades or do you keep them as backups? I 95% of the time I keep it and I'm always glad that I did because you never know when I need a spare camera. You never know when, oh my God, thank goodness I still had that old tripod. Oh my goodness, thank thank goodness I still have those USB extender cables. Ooh, I need a monitor here. It's a good thing I still have that old monitor. Yeah, I... I basically keep it because here's the thing. You can save money by selling your old equipment when you're buying your new equipment, right? I find I save more money by keeping it because just recently I set up another desk and I needed a monitor at it. Well, guess what? I still had this spare 27 inch monitor. I could have sold it for 80 bucks, I suppose, when I was buying a new monitor. But if I didn't have that stored away in my gear closet, I would have had to have gone out and spent 150 bucks or 200 bucks to buy a new 27-inch monitor. So yes, you can save money by selling the old gear when you're buying new gear. But in my experience, I've actually saved significantly more money by making sure I hold on to that stuff not in a hoarder kind of way, but it, it, to hold on to that tech stuff because I usually end up finding a use for it later on that would have cost me more money if I still didn't have it on hand. So my personal way of doing things, Luke, is I, I, I usually hold on to my tech stuff because I usually find another need for it later. Anyway, thanks for asking. Casinema Reviews writes, I feel like we just got Doom Patrol back and now it's already over again. I know I just watched the season finale um, and for who knows for how long. Granted, even if COVID-19 hadn't stopped filming, I heard we've only would have gotten one more episode, but still. Oh, well, favorite episode this season. Yeah, it is too bad. So they the season finale, which I just watched, was not supposed to be the season finale. There was supposed to be one more episode. And you can totally tell, too 
watching it that there should have been one more episode. But COVID shut them down, so what are you going to do? My favorite episode of this season, because I believe it really represents what makes this show great. My favorite episode this season was Sex Men. Because the Sex Men episode completely embodies and represents why this show is so unique. On the one hand, it's bonkers. Because a girl masturbating, you know, one of the characters masturbating, sets off this shock of sexual energy that awakens a sex demon who causes this orgy of ghosts. There's all these male and female ghosts now running around the house having an orgy in the house. And these guys call the sex men, not X-Men, the sex men who are basically ghostbusters show up to try to stop this outbreak of these, all these ghosts having this wild orgy at the same time in the same episode, while this bonkers stuff is going on, you also get these two fathers, Larry and Cliff, you get these two fathers sitting down and having this incredibly moving and deep conversation about each of them reflecting on and lamenting on their individual failures as fathers and the repercussions of what their failures as, as fathers has done to their children. It's incredibly deep. Like it's really deep and mature and multi-level stuff. It's incredibly profound at the same time that two ghosts are banging doggy style outside the door. Like it's, it's great. And that kind of represents to me, the genius of doom patrol. It's incredibly deep, profound, important issues that are talked about and discussed on an incredibly depth of level while at the same time being ridiculously bonkers. And that's why I love that show. And that's why I think for me, uh, Sex Men is the best representative of that. All right. Next up, uh, Casinema uh, Reviews writes, I feel like we, oh, that was a Casinema Reviews. All right. Uh, was that Casinema Reviews? Yes. Uh, next up, uh, Luis R. writes, imagine you're the predator and you're just minding your own business, getting your daily dose of the John Campus show. And there pops up Aaron Cummings, just insulting your looks. Gotta be heartbreaked. Yeah. For those you missed, but Aaron Cummings was on the show yesterday and she's talking about, I just don't like predator. Why? Cause he's ugly. Aaron Cummings, body shaming the predator. Bad, bad on Aaron. <laughs> so that's a good one to bring up. All right, Ray with an E writes, I think Godzilla would destroy Kong in a fight, but who do I like better? I'm still rooting for the underdog King Kong of Skull Island. Team Kong, baby. See, I don't think so. Now, if they kept the same sizes, like if Godzilla was the same size we saw him in the last movie and King Kong was only the size that we saw him in Skull Island, clearly one destroys the other. But remember, King Kong was young. Now he's grown a lot and they're roughly the same size as Godzilla. And I think I think the speed advantage, I think the technique advantage, I think the dexterity advantage, I think that all goes to Kong. I think that all goes to Kong. So I'm going to be rooting for Kong. I, I don't know who they're going to pick to win, but I'm going to go for Kong. All right, Russell Amador writes, Hey, John, uh, we've mentioned the lack, the tax collector a couple of times here, and the day is finally here. It's now available. One problem, though, it ain't doing too hot. It's currently sitting uh, rotten at 17%, and the LA Times calls it one of the most atrocious experiences. Yeah, I the trailer for Tax Collector, the new Shia LaBeouf movie, <coughs> pardon me, looks amazing. 
like I was salivating watching the trailer for Tax Collector. I have heard it's terrible, unfortunately. Yeah, you're, you're right about that, uh, Russell. I, I have heard it's absolutely terrible, which breaks my heart. It absolutely breaks my heart because I have been looking forward to this. I thought the trailer looked amazing, but hey, you know what? It is what it is. All right, Music Row Films. Just have time for one or two more, guys. Music Row Film writes, Hey, John, I discovered your show a few years ago, and I can't begin to tell you how many long drives and late nights you've got me through, so thanks. Uh, question in the next message. Uh, when Disney slash Marvel restarts the next series of Avengers films, do you think they will start with a smaller core of heroes like in the first one? If so, which ones would you pick? I'm thinking Strange, uh, Parker. You're not gonna. I don't think you're going to see Spider-Man in there because I think Spider-Man is going to be back at, at uh, Sony by then. I really do. But anyway, T'Challa, Thor, Danvers, and uh, Shang-Chi. I don't know. I don't think they're going to go smaller team. I don't think they're going to go smaller team. I, I think they're going to have a larger team. If anything, they might even have two groups. And obviously, who are going to be the heroes that are still around? Well, Cap's not there right now. Iron Man's not there right now. Notice I'm saying right now they're not there. Uh, they're not there right now. You're definitely going to see Captain Marvel because Kevin Feige has already said she's going to kind of become the centerpiece of the Marvel Cinematic Universe moving forward. Doesn't mean she's going to be the only thing, but she's going to kind of become the centerpiece. Um T'Challa makes a lot of sense. We'll see what happens. And then we'll see what they do with Shang-Chi. I don't know if I see Shang-Chi as an Avengers character. I think they want to keep him kind of solo, but I don't know. But I personally think they're going to go a bit larger. As far as Thor goes, it depends on how much longer Chris Hemsworth wants to play the character. So I'm not really sure about that. But uh, again, I think it's going to be a little bit of a larger thing. Anyway, thank you for asking, man. And thanks for letting me come along on the late night trips and all that kind of stuff. I appreciate it. It's good to have you here, man. All right. Last question of the day comes to us from Jerry from the block writes, damn, did you see uh, Brie climb the Grand? I know, but I heard about this. Did you see Brie Larson climb the Grand Tenton Mountain? Talk about ins inspirational. My question is about the possible Metroid movie with Brie. I've not heard of that. Uh, what do you think about Starship Troopers being the inspiration for Metroid? The style is quirky yet violent. And says, I have no idea. I I've not heard of that. Let me just see. see uh, uh, I have not heard anything about this. Um... I, there's something in there that says she would like to play it. But, I, I mean, I've seen nothing about that she's actually doing. Look, you know what's me. I don't do X actor and X role questions, but I always say the same thing. Are they talented? Are they talented? Brie Larson is an Academy Award winning actress. She is one of the best in the business. So if she was going to be in it, I'd be as down for her as anybody else. I, I'm not saying she'd be my first choice, but if she ends up doing something like that, I think it would be absolutely fantastic if she's that good. All right, listen, guys, there are still other questions to come, like from Tristan Riera, uh, uh, Hero, uh, Double Crit, and a few others. Listen, don't worry. Even though we've run out of time right now, we will start off tomorrow's open mic because we're going to do open mic tomorrow, uh, tomorrow morning, tomorrow afternoon. So we are going to start off open mic by getting to your questions first. Your questions will be the first ones answered. So we'll get through all the remaining questions from today. We've just unfortunately run out of time right now. And all right, guys, that'll do it. 
for today's installment of the John Cabe Show. Thank you so much for being here and being taking part of your day to spend time here with us on this show. We appreciate it very much. Special thank you to all you guys who sent in those live questions because number one, you gave us great fun things to talk about, but number two, you supported this channel as you did it. And all of us here, thank you very much for that. Guys, please do the four important things. Stay smart, stay safe, take care of yourselves, and take care of the people around you. That'll do it for me for now, guys. My name is John Campia, and until next time, Bye-bye.